pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny, episode 175. Today I'm going to chat with Ernie from X2 Development Group, discuss another case of the ATF going after legal products, highlight the new loophole Delta Point Micro, and talk about a viral video of a man clearing snow. I'm your host, Ava Flanell. Welcome to the show, everyone, and Happy New Year. Before we get into it, guys, there's calendars available, so don't forget to buy your 2021 Ava Flannel or Gun Funny podcast calendar. Right now, they're only $20 and they come with free shipping. The link is in the show notes, but you can get yours at gunfunny.com. Ernie, how are you doing today? Actually doing pretty good. Good. Do you have any, I know this is cliche, but do you have any New Year's resolutions? You know, I haven't said any formally. Just been completely focused on you know getting my company where it needs to go, getting the products out there. Nice. So that's that's really what we're intently focused on this year. So nice. Basically, same thing. That's saying I don't have a life outside of work. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I can completely understand that. Well, I've decided that I'm going to work harder on my YouTube channel, even though it's gained quite a bit of momentum. But I need to start putting out more content. So that is my New Year's resolution. But other than that, I'm hoping just basically survive. I'm hoping that 2021 won't be so bad as 2020, but who knows? We'll see. But all we could do is just take it day by day. It's shaping up to be interesting. Yeah, to say say the least. Exactly. I know. All right. Before we get into discuss X2 development, I'm going to talk about Smith & Wesson real quick. Guys, if you haven't seen, they just released a new pistol. It's the M&P 15. And you guessed it. It's a pistol version of their popular M&P 15 rifle. And it's ready to go out of the box with all the great features that you want in an AR-15 pistol. It's got the M-Lock free float handguard, the flat face trigger, P-Mag, and a comfortable textured grip with adjustable palm swells. And of course, it has the popular SBA3 brace from SB Tactical, which by the way are still legal, but we'll get into that later on. MSRP is $896. Check them out at smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Ernie, before we get into talking about X2 Development Group, just give me a little bit about your background. Well, I mean, as a kid, I was always into guns. My dad was in law enforcement. Uh Just from a little kid, just always into guns. Guns was like my favorite thing. And then in high school, I took a bunch of machine shops. And I was the kid that always hung out at the gun shop. And I'm sure they hated that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> They wanted me to kind of go away. And then one day, the gunsmith there, he gets a lathe. And the lathe had issues need to be rebuilt. And there at the high school, you know, we were always having to rebuild. It was old World War II equipment. So I'm like, well, I can rebuild that. Next thing you know, I'm working in that shop. And that's the same shop, Gene Kelly, American Gunsmith Institute, you know, that does all the gunsmithing videos. So Gene, you know, came in after me. He just graduated from gunsmithing school. I guess I'm kind of showing my age here. But started out there, you know, learned a lot. And over the years, I mean, I've been able to, to learn a lot from a lot of the master pistol smiths, gunsmiths, and kind of did that mainly after I left that shop as a hobby. I had, you know, you have to go do other things to make a living. Mm-hmm. So I've done a lot in uh, um, like information technology, pioneered a lot of uh, IT, 
So I was one of the guys that, you know, the first implementation of switching and routing on a network anywhere in the world, built some of the largest networks, uh, largest fiber optic, broadband networks. That's what I'd done really up until about, uh, say, 2010, when I decided, you know, I just don't want to do that anymore. At that point, I was doing fiber optic networks. And if you think that, you know, they talk about the NRA having lobbyists, I'm telling you, the phone and cable companies have way more lobbyists. Wow. And we were doing these municipal fiber optic projects. And in one case, you know, I was called up to this uh, hearing up in Wyoming where we're doing a fiber optic project in Powell, Wyoming. And this was completely rigged. I mean, it was a a, a joint, uh, kind of like their House and Senate. And this one senator, Republican, she's compared me to Hugo Chavez and calling me a socialist because this was a public-private partnership deal. It didn't involve tax dollars. It had private backing. But you were using municipal bonds, right, to build the infrastructure in these smaller communities that wouldn't otherwise get this critical broadband infrastructure. I said, well, if I'm a socialist, then I'm the only socialist that received the Republican Party's gold key award from Ronald Reagan, right? Mm -hmm. We wound up, you know, winning that. But, you know, it was really at that point, I just like, I don't want to do this anymore. We completed the project, but I didn't want to do it anymore. And I'd been doing the gunsmithing, so I started a company called Red Creek Tactical and really focused on uh, just, you know, building guns, working on guns, coding guns. Uh, Started working with the folks at NIC Industries, you know, Cerakote. I helped them a lot with their intellectual property stuff. And I'd previously, by the way, I guess I got to back up a little bit because while I was doing the IT and the broadband stuff, I did start working doing like ammunition development. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of uh, ammunition development projects, the 556 Optimized for SOCOM. That's the currently fielded brown tip, the Mark 288 Reactive Material Enhanced 50. Because some friends had an ammunition company and I kind of knew through friends, how to get into the military, how to get into be a big army, uh, into SOCOM, Crane Naval Surface Warfare Center, et cetera, to, and, and then also get, at that point, you could get congressional earmarks and things, uh, plus ups, to fund projects like that. So I did a lot of that, and then, just like I said, decided to kind of, in, in 2010, do the custom gun stuff, and started that shop, built that up. And during that time, you know, you're working on a lot of guns. You're seeing things done right, things done wrong, things done, man, I wish somebody would do it this way. Mm-hmm. This sucks. When a lot of these companies make things, they, they don't think about, did somebody ever have to take them apart? Or did you have to put them back together? Listening to a lot of end-user complaints. And because I'd had that background, again, working with the SOCOM guys, that kind of maintained. I continued that relationship with the Tier 1 operators. And they kept asking for things and saying, well, you know, nobody, nobody in the industry, they're not listening to us. Can you do this? Can you do that? And one day I just decided it would be better if I came up with products that you can get CNC machines to make so you can sit there watching them make that. You know, when you're doing custom gun work, you're limited really to what you can personally do. Mm-hmm. And you really can't duplicate yourself. I mean, if being a master pistol smith was so easy in doing that quality work, everybody would be a master pistol smith. Everybody would be a master gunsmith. The fact is there's very, very few that are any good. Most, you know, we call gun plumbers. Yeah, I would fix so many other so-called gunsmiths work. I did that. I don't think a week went by that I didn't fix a gun that somebody basically butchered. One of my mentors, uh, Bill Lothridge at Sonder and Slide, 
He said, uh, God bless Dremel, you know, <laughs> that they've created more work for me than, than anyone else. You know, a guy gets a Dremel tool and thinks that he's a gunsmith or they mm-hmm. get an AR armor's wrench and they think they're a gunsmith. So I started out with a couple of products, you know, one was like an active buffer and then the what's now the VF-18 uh, muzzle device that started uh, when uh, Dave Body, Dave's a, uh, a veteran SWAT commander, a SWAT sniper and competed in a lot of the sniper comps, PRS comps. He was in the shop one day complaining about suppressors and muzzle brakes. And so with suppressors, especially running semi-autos, you have all the back pressure and blowback. The guns don't run reliably. We can get into later all the issues on suppression. And then when you're using a muzzle brake, the concussive effect, the ground disruption, I mean, it just blows everything around you out. And a lot of times you're shooting maybe through a tube or around structures that, it, you know, a muzzle brake is just, he goes, I can't use it. And he goes, I wish there was something that kind of mitigated, dealt with that blast, address recoil, at least to, you know, you don't need to cut it all, but you cut that peak off of the recoil. You still need flash suppression, especially in sniper comps. And, with, and, and he was more concerned with kind of muzzle neutral. A lot of muzzle brakes had a, a heavy muzzle down bias. In fact, most do. Because they think the muzzle rises, a lot of them overcompensate. And so you get a fairly heavy muzzle down bias. You can see that in high speed. And he said, why can't somebody just design something that kind of addressed all of those things? And as I started looking, the general consensus was you can't have a muzzle brake in a flash hider in one device. It just simply can't work. And that's based on what's called, you know, a simple flow theory that on a muzzle brake, you know, the bullet exits the barrel, the gases come out and compress against those baffles in that break and then are accelerated out. And so that's why you get higher sound decibel levels, you get higher blast over pressure levels, and there's dangers in both of those. Sound pressure levels are elevated. People don't know this, but up to in the 200 decibel range, and that was uh, established by University of Florida Gainesville's audiology department. You look at blast over pressure levels, that's separate than sound pressure levels because the blast pressure wave actually moves through the body. So it can detach retinas because the eye is filled with fluid, cause organ damage, cumulative traumatic brain damage, which now SOCOM is addressing. That's, again, another thing people don't understand is the, the effects of cumulative traumatic brain injury. Hearing damage, you get bone conduction hearing damage. The eardrum will burst at 5.5 pounds of pressure. And the pressure levels off an A2 flash hider on a 10 and a half inch Mark 18 are right about at 13. So if you're shooting that in close proximity, you know, mm-hmm. to somebody indoors, like on entry, where say, let's say they do breacher drills mm-hmm. and the breacher breaches the door and when he's still got the breaching kill in his hand and, and there's somebody who's just say right in front of him with a gun down the hallway, the person is stacked behind the breacher is going to just kind of lean forward, put that gun on the breacher's shoulder and fire. And even though they're wearing hair pro, multiple SWAT commanders said, look, we've seen breachers go down. And they're the big dumb guys, by the way, with blood coming out of their ears because their eardrums are burst. Wow. So that's one of the things that Dave brought up, being a veteran SWAT commander. And he said, look, is there some way to do that? I'm this left-handed outside the box, like, don't ever tell me you can't do something nonconformist. Mm-hmm. And so I started researching it and looked at, uh, you know, it, it, it comes down to using complex flow versus simple flow. So the VF-18, which is one of our products, basically takes a single pressure zone that you would get off of uh, uh, the exit of a bullet and the muzzle blast 
or if you had a muzzle brake, you would get multiple higher pressure zones. And the idea is to break that down into multiple lower pressure zones and safely direct it forward and do it in a way that you can create recoil reduction, basically flash suppression, and keep it muzzle neutral. And the VF-18 basically does that and excels at it. So that's a product that is used by current SF groups on their training rifles and uh, recently in combat in Iraq for those properties. So they, they love that device. So that was kind of the first device uh, that I came up with. How long ago was yeah, that this? Yeah, that just kind of kept... That was, um, I did the VF-18, or what's now the VF-18, came up with the design about in kind of, I'll say 2014. Okay. But it, it was one of those things where the next obstacle was getting it made. Mm-hmm. And it's a fairly complicated product. And I went to all these aerospace machine shops and they're just like, no, man, you know, you can't, yeah, can't, that can't be made. That can't be made. And so I kind of put it on the shelf for a while. And then I started working. I thought, you know, well, that would be maybe, you know, some of the design principles and stuff would transfer into suppressors. And so then I came up with kind of my first zero back pressure suppressor out of that. And once I came up with that, then I started a new company basically do the products, which is uh, NG2 Defense. But with NG2, which started in 2016, we kind of hit the market, you know, just wrong, right? When it, and Trump got elected and it, it hit the slump and there was just a lot of other issues. You know, you're trying to get new product out, get it in the market right as the market just completely takes a dump. Mm-hmm. And so all of the timing was bad. We kind of hit a perfect storm with that. But during that process, you know, I started working on lots and lots of other things, such as a jackal charging handle, multiple other weapons designs, weapons products, additional iterations on the suppressors. You know, you start learning more and more, talking to additional operators, and so just kind of evolving. And so we finally decided to start a new company, really focused more, and that's why you have X2 Development Group, really on that product development. You know, how can we take each of these products and fully develop them and refine them and perfect them? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we're at today with X2, is I really wanted to focus on that development. And so I guess that kind of leads us into where we are today with the products that we currently have. And when was this? At what year did X2 Development Group come out? Just January 2020 was when we started uh, X2. So we kind of rolled it out at SHOT Show in uh, January and with all the new products. So really, uh, you know, I took the suppressor technology. I mean, really, really refined it. It was already kind of breakthrough stuff, but now really is. Mm Mm-hmm the ARX light fighter, we can kind of get into each of these, how they came about, what problems they solve. But that's one of the things I don't, I don't have products where my saying is I don't do pimp and I don't do me too. For a little company like ours to come out and say, well, I need an ambidextrous charging handle when there's how many on the market. Mm -hmm. That's just insane. You know, if I'm doing something, it's to solve a problem. Exactly. If we have a product, it's to solve a problem. And then it's how well do I solve that problem? And I judge that by putting into the hands of, of, of true tier one operators. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell you where in the woods the bear does his business. I mean, if it's, these guys don't mince words or they're, they're, I mean, you're quiet professionals. And they're just going to put it on your desk and go, this is crap, you know, yeah. fix it or uh, no. And you go, okay. Tell me about the jackal charging handle. Because actually I have one right here on my desk. Same with the muzzle device, and it has actually kind of an interesting 
graphic on the back of the packaging that kind of explains internally how this device is made. And you definitely make some interesting products, but let's talk about the Jackal charging handle. Sure. I was teaching a class at Fort Bragg to what we can only refer to as the brute behind the fence. Mm -hmm. And in between class sessions, because they would have different groups come in at different times, I was hanging out in the team room with one of the assault teams. In this case, it was J-team or Jackal team that I was hanging out with. And they were just like, well, what else can you do? I'm like, well, what else do you need? So they start breaking guns out and talking about the issues and problems that they had. And really one of the number one problems that they identified, and I would not have thought so, is the charging handle. And I said, really? I mean, it's that much of a problem. They're going, it's a huge problem. And what issues were they having? And Well, the way that they operate, let's say, you know, you, you go in and you get in a vehicle, you clear the life round and you lock the bolt carrier back. Mm-hmm. And you got big guys geared up piling into uh, vehicles designed for like some 5'9", you know, average person. The charging handles always catch. If you take a Raptor or any similar charging handle, you'll notice that they're all the same. Mm -hmm. The levers are what they call radially opposed. They're pinned in the middle, so they they rotate on that center axis. Mm -hmm. And if you have the bolt carrier locked back, there's nothing holding it. You can can just barely flick that lever. I mean, just barely, and out comes that charging handle. Mm -hmm. And if it catches on your gear, okay, one, when it releases, it, it can load a live round, you know, in the vehicle, but it also bends and breaks. And if your charging handle bends and breaks, your gun's inoperable, basically. Mm-hmm. You're down. Your primary gun is now down. And that doesn't happen some of the times. That happens a lot. And then also just it coming out of battery. So if you look at how a lot of your Terra guys run, if you watch... Uh, some videos of Buck Doyle's that uh, follow through Buck on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you're looking how they're approaching a barricade. The gun is up near their face, right? And mm-hmm. the stock is up near the, their head. So it's in that high ready. And then they punch out and push out. And they'll do that in entry and they push out. And then the charging handle catches and snags. The gun comes out of battery, click. Mm-hmm. And that's not good either. So you had to come up with a way that addressed those. And then just hard use, like having to clear a stuck case, mortaring, Whenever you have those levers and you have to mortar it, you're, you're putting all that tension, that pressure on the lever and on the pin, and you're going to break the levers off. And just in standard operation, when you have radially opposed levers, if you pull back, let's say, on the left lever, okay, it's coming back towards you, and then you're putting a binding action to the right. Mm-hmm. And that stresses that pin, so eventually, I mean, you can break the levers off, or you just simply, through repeated use, hard use, you bend that shaft. That shaft starts getting warped and bent. And then it doesn't operate smoothly. So you really needed something that would keep it from snagging, keep it from coming out, provide that ruggedness where if you have to take it and hold the latch open and beat on it with a rock to clear a stuck case, you can do that. You want something that will get these guys home, right, in any circumstance. And that's what I set out to do. So I intensively research. I'll pull up every patent or patent application ever done. And you kind of look for that commonality that every one of them is readily opposed, right? Based off of kind of the Badger, original Badger ordinance patent. And you see that what happens is one guy does it one way and then everybody kind of goes that way and maybe changes it a little bit if they can to get around that patent, but they don't really rethink it. Okay. The reason for me to rethink it was these guys talking about the problems that they had. And I heard the same thing from your SWAT operators. Mm-hmm. Same thing, catching on gear. And 
I'd posted a video of the guys from Plaquemines Parish uh, Sheriff's Department, Louisiana, and they had got a couple. They saw them at SHOT Show and were bugging me like every day since SHOT Show in January. Like, when are you going to have that? When are you going to have that? So I sent it to them and said, here, try this out. Let me know what you think. And they sent me basically a, a text back said, God bless you. You know? Wow. And so that there's things that are more important than money. And mm-hmm. that's one of them. And when you can put it in hands of guys that, uh, and, and, I, and I don't mean that just in guys, but obviously there's gals too. But folks who are putting their lives on the line, you know, they're mm-hmm. out there, you know, they're the thin blue line or the or the thin green line, mm-hmm. and they're putting their lives on the line. Anything you can do that benefits them, that helps them, for me, is, is just you're, you're kind of obligated to do that. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the, the jackal came from. I did ask permission from all the guys, hey, can I, can I name it jackal? You know, because you guys told me to do it. And that's actually been used by that group, you know, in combat, in Iraq. And we've now got it out there with a number of law enforcement SWAT teams. We had one of the local uh, county SWAT teams here in Utah. It was at a, a kind of one of their multi-gun uh, competitions for law enforcement. You know, we were out there and they got to try it. And they had just gotten, you know, 40 brand new rifles. I won't name the manufacturer. It doesn't matter. But they were using that Raptors on them. And they pulled all the Raptors off and put on 40 Jackals after running it. Wow. That's just one of those products that when you run it, then you know. Like if you're down prone, if you've got to run that charging handle, it's straight linear your back. Mm-hmm. You're not putting this binding action right or left. So it's not moving your gun. Exactly. You can come straight back and it's a smooth operation. And as far as stuck cases, I got a really, really bad stuck case the other day. And I had to pound the living snot out of that thing. And I mean, literally pound it open. And it turned out that the bolt had broken and one of the lugs had gotten jammed up in there. So, I mean, it had to be pounded out. That charging handle still in that gun, you know, wow. working after I replaced the bolt. That to me, that like I said, I think with confidence can put that in the hands of our tier one uh, guys and know that that thing's going to get them home mm-hmm. and that, it, you know, it's not going to snag. And, and that's the, that's the reports that I've had. They've said in the entire tour, not one issue of, of coming out of battery, of any snags. And in some of the videos, I mean, you can take that unless you're indexing it. If you properly index it, it just comes right back. It's perfect, smooth operation. If you're grabbing kind of on the edges, you can pull as hard as you can. It's not going to come out. And that's even with the bolt carrier locked back. Wow. So it can ride down your gear. You can lock the bolt carrier open, drop the gun to sling. It's going to come down. It's just not going to come out. You can hang the gun on like your plate carrier. And unless you get it in at the right angle, it's just not going to come out. Mm-hmm. So problem solved. So why did it make sense for us to come out with a charging handle? Well, to me, it's not a product, it's a solution. So yeah. we came out with a solution to a problem. Okay, cool. That's one of the products I think that uh, is really going to take off, I'm hoping, this coming year. Oh, yeah, we, definitely. You know, yeah, because what we focused on in 2020 is let me get the product out, let me perfect the product, and then let's figure out manufacturing on it. So we have some in-house, some we'll call near in-house manufacturing. And I've got probably two of the best applications engineers, CNC, you know, programmers in the country. And I'm not, some people say that this is true. Okay. You look at these guys' background and, and I mean, they're just phenomenal. And so it was really figuring out now how to produce this in quantity. It's a difficult design to produce. It seems like everything I do, that's kind of the way it is. But <laughs> uh, those guys figured out and figure out how to really optimally, cost-effectively produce it in volume. 
Mm-hmm. So we're now to that point and we have inventory built up. And so we're really just starting to now, hey, let's get it out there. Let's get the word out on it. Yeah, definitely. So appreciate you letting me talk about it today. So Absolutely. Let's... And I have one, like I said, on my desk right now. I'm excited to go try it out along with one of your suppressors as well, which we'll talk about here in a second. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical. As I talked about last week, the ATF withdrew their unjust attempt to redefine braces. A big thanks to everyone who commented and the 90 congressmen who wrote to the DOJ. It's a great example of what you can do if we stick together. With this, it's an obvious green light to brace yourself. One of the most popular braces for the ARs is the SBA-3. I just talked about it on the new Smith & Wesson M&P-15 pistol. It's lightweight, low profile, and super comfortable. And being adjustable and compatible with a standard buffer tube, it's a great option for shooters of different sizes so it can be adjusted to fit you. They come in several different colors and include a QD swivel mount. Check them out at sb-tactical.com. And remember to use the code GUNFUNNY15. That gets you 15% off. Okay, so Ernie, just recently I was talking to Colian Noir and I brought up your products and I was talking about your suppressors, actually, and he said he said that your suppressors are by far the best that he's ever used. And that charging handle, the Jackal, oh, man, that's amazing, too. So he had nothing but good things to say about your products. I was like, okay, cool. I'm getting really excited to test him out because yeah. when I received them, then I had to go on a trip, and I just got back two days ago, so I haven't really had time to really mess around with them. But let's talk about your rimfire can, for example. How many rounds can you shoot through it before you have to clean it? I don't know because I've not had to clean one. Wow. So on Rimfire, in one session, I've run 2,000 rounds and the can was still fine. Wow. So you didn't really, you you could clean it, but you really didn't have to clean it. So there is a a coating on the inside we call slipstream and it tends to just blow most of the crud out. The newest design has that hush module on the end so it's modular and that's where really most of if you're going to get any build up it's there and so that comes apart really easily and you just kind of you can clean it you can even put it in an ultrasonic as long as you use the right frequency and it just cleans right up as far as from a flow design standpoint it kind of solves a lot of the problems just through flow right yeah. if you're flowing gases versus trapping gases then you're flowing carbon and lead and everything not trapping it it's really that simple. The flow design helps keep it clean and cleaner. And then it keeps the gun clean too. I think that's one of the great benefits of that suppressor. I was talking to uh, a Sean Utley who writes for Guns and Ammo. I wrote an article for him last year for his uh, suppressor annual, Guns and Ammo suppressor annual on suppressor physics. And he was talking about another rimfire suppressor that he just recently tested. And he said, yeah, I was lucky to get through 50 rounds that I needed to complete the article before the gun kind of crapped out. And he had saw a post from Dave Body. Dave kind of got Sean into writing. And Dave's been writing for the gun magazines for about two decades. And Dave had posted that he had just run like 500 plus rounds through a Mark IV and a 1022. And Sean thought that was like a misprint. You know, it's like 500, zero, it wasn't 50. I'm like, no. Oh, you could run thousands of rounds, you know, through the gun and it's fine. And there's like, no way. But you can. It literally cleans the gun. I mean, that's it's what you call a scavenge effect. 
So we can get into, I mean, in fact, we can go way down the rabbit hole on suppression. But the flow design creates a scavenger fat. So as the breach opens, you're basically pulling, the suppressor still pulling, right? Mm-hmm. So it basically pulls gas through as the breach opens rather than blowing it back in. So the gun runs clean. So on, the, on that little Artemis, I think that's the real breakthrough. It's like, again, why people were saying, why don't you come out with a rimfire suppressor? And I kind of like, well, yeah, you know, but the designs that I had where you have that coax chamber, it has to be kind of a fatter suppressor, right? Because you've got an inner zone and an outer zone. And that really doesn't translate into rimfire. People expect, you know, these little light, skinny, you know, suppressors. And so I really didn't do anything on it. And that Artemis really started out as a, a covert nine millimeter suppressor for a group we won't talk about. And they wanted something like they just go click, you know, onto like a little Glock 43 and whack somebody and, you know, mm-hmm. click and take it off. Mm-hmm. And I never put it into production. And then when we started X2, I was like, well, that'd make a really good rimfire suppressor. So we turned it into a rimfire suppressor. And how it works is it has like these little turbine core modules. And I put more kind of a compound helix or bend on them. So rather than having a physically separated coax chamber, which is your outer chamber on the, or, or, that you'll see on some flow designs, it creates a virtual one. So it pulls the gases off the center line of the bore and kind of rotates them. So you're looking again, time and distance of travel, the amount of internal open volume uh, versus metal cooling volume. And in suppression, kind of how I crack the code on flow designs in the bigger suppressors is breaking it up into segments, which you have initial blowdown, which is the pressure release so that you don't have any back pressure. But then if you want it to be quiet, you're playing gas clamping. And as you start clamping, if you're going to run full auto, then you get a third element called pressure stacking, right? Because it's a pressure vessel like scuba tank. You know, if you, if you're putting pressure pulse wave up pressure pulse wave on full auto, you basically pump it up and it pressure saturates. And once that suppressor is pressure saturated, it's going to be less efficient. Mm -hmm. On a flow design, you're now going to see how effectively it really flows. Okay. On a trapping design, your back pressure is going to increase, your cyclic rate is going to increase, flow back is going to increase, and your sound level off the front is going to increase once it pressure saturates. And so that's one of the things that people don't have. So even on rapid, you know, a semi-auto string, you'll see cyclic rate go up, you'll see sound rate levels go up. Most people are, when they sound test, they're just like firing one round and then the pressure drops and they can, they fire another round. And for semi-autos, that's not really telling the story on a suppressor. Mm -hmm. So I was able to solve that, I said, in the the Artemis with doing that kind of compound uh, helix, that bend and creating that virtual coax chamber, essentially on the, on the suppressor. And it just worked phenomenally. So it was like, Hey, let's try it out. And one of the first things I did was fire 500 rounds, a brick through a Mark III, a Ruger. And those things are a pain in the butt to take apart and clean and Mm -hmm. get back together. So after I fired that 500 rounds, I mean, I I actually took that to SHOT Show, showed Ruger because they were asking about, you know, hey, do you have a rim fire? Because they were looking for, you know, they needed a can that would, a suppressor that would function on the 57 pistol. And they're saying, look, everything that they had tried, you know, wouldn't make it past 50 rounds. And so I didn't have a 57, you know, or a printed barrel 57. So I said, you know, here, here's a Mark III. I just fired 500 rounds through. And they're like, oh, you know, BS, you know, because it looked clean. It literally looked, there's a few particles. I'm like, no, man, that was, that's like 500 rounds. Okay. So they send a threaded barrel 57 
And they said, if you can get 100 rounds through it, man, that would be great. And I put like 16, 17 hundred rounds through it and didn't, and, and you know, if I could get more 57 ammo, I could do more. I mean, I've got more, but it's like stupid expensive and hard to get. Yeah. But I figured 1700 rounds was enough. And I sent them a video saying, here's rounds 480 to 500. Here's, here's 980 to 1000. And it just kept running and running and running. So that's the thing about that, uh, that Artemis. And it's, as far as quiet, it, I think it, it, it rates up there with the very, very best rimfire suppressors on a, a Ruger precision rimfire. Just the dry fire was right 110 and running subsonics on that uh, precision rimfire. You get maybe 110, 112. That's it. You're mainly picking up the, the firing pin. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's as quiet as you can get on a, on a rimfire suppressor. Mm-hmm. Fully user serviceable, modular, priced in with everything else, you know, on the market. So that's the Artemis. On the, the bigger suppressors, again, I, I, I mentioned earlier, that kind of evolved out of the VF-18. And as I started setting flow dynamics and had been around suppressors and talking to people and, and operators and started seeing one of the biggest problems that they had was back pressure on semi-auto. Some, you know, bolt action, that's not such an issue. It can be, we can get into that a little bit later, but back pressure is a huge issue. Operational liability, huge issue. The yeah. military had been wanting to run suppressed on every gun full time for a long time. What's prevented that is the loss in operational liability. The second thing is just toxic gas blowback. Among special forces operators, there's been a huge increase in heavy metal poisoning. I have friends that have died of it. I have friends that are currently suffering from it. And it's a huge issue. And they've been studying that, I think, for about 12 years at RDEC, the heavy metal poisoning. And so that's one of the things I'm like, hey, you know, uh, well, if you, you know, if you have no back pressure, well, that solves that. And the problem, though, with uh, low back pressure, no back pressure designs and people talk about OSS and Russ Oliver, you know, I've known since Russ started, you know, so he's doing a lot of his Cerakote work, things like that. And he was one of the first guys to really kind of start thinking outside the box on that. But I kind of went my own way, went a different way than, than he went. And we'd had some interesting discussions and debates. And in fact, for years, he wouldn't even talk to me. He was mad at me. But good guy, I think you got to give him a lot of credit for really kind of advancing the whole back pressure issue and suppression and really thinking outside the box with it. He said, I, I, I kind of went my own way. And that evolved, like I said, from that VF-18. But what I found was, Again, in a flow design, I think Barry Dukes from Surefire I saw him on the internet, like a video deal with Mike Pappas of Dead Air. Mike's been a friend of mine for a couple decades, too. And Barry had made the comment, and the problem with flow designs is they flow through the sound in the flash, mm-hmm. right? Well, true, up to that point. And that's, that's, again, because you're thinking, well, I'm looking at that first element, which is that blowdown, that pressure release. And where I went from kind of my first generation was again kind of rethinking that and saying, okay, I've got to break this up. I, I need that initial blowdown. And so let's look at the timing of the action. I mean, you know, the action, you know, it opens, it closes, right? And so the bullet, if a gun's properly timed, and this is something I've taught classes at Fort Bragg and other places in the military on, is weapons tuning and timing. So proper, it, it springs gas mass and proper timing is four o'clock ejection. So if you can put clean brass in a nice little box at four o'clock, your gun's time. Okay. But then when a gun enters the, or the bullet enters the suppressor, if you have back pressure there, it's, it's going to push, you know, you're, you're basically increasing your dwell time. It's going to push gas back in. You can, your cyclic rate's going to go up. 
what we found in testing was on my first designs, we were getting maybe three to five rounds per minute increase on full auto, where a standard suppressor, you get maybe three, 400 rounds per minute increase. My late friend, Frank Nassama at Patriot Ordnance Factory, Frank, you know, I've got some videos of him you know, saying this. He goes, look, you increase, you know, 1,100 rounds per minute. He goes, you're tearing that then apart. That's one of the biggest problems we have down at Patriot Ordnance Factory. And in fact, our number two problem is people running suppressed. And it goes, it's always my gun, not their stupid suppressor, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why he loved my designs and really kind of encouraged me to keep developing it. And it's because she goes, look, this is just, this is one of the banes of my existence is these suppressors because my gun runs great, but you put these suppressors with back pressure and they break the gun. The guns become unreliable and people just don't understand that. Well, I bought my suppressor. I just don't understand why I won't run on your gun. Well, you know, it's not going to run on any gun because semi-autos and and suppressors with back pressure really don't mix. They just don't. And that's one of the things that I, I would say kind of drives me nuts with this whole People have just been wrapped around the axle of decibels, okay? Well, what's the decibel rating? And I want to, for your listeners' edification, I think this is really important to to get into, and I'll do that here in just a second. But what I want to do is I wanted to perfect that. And so I started looking at high-speed video, looking at the action opening and closing, and said, okay, if I can time the suppressor like I time the gun, then I can time the blowdown. So the pressure is blowing into the suppressor. You've got that rapid blowdown, and that's going to create that scavenge. It's going to, the gun will run cleaner suppressed. If you do that right, you'll get a gun that will run cleaner suppressed than unsuppressed because you're getting that scavenge effect from that initial blowdown. Then you have to kind of progressively start putting the brakes on, right? So that's clamping. Now, the more that you clamp, the more that you're going to pressure stack. So on, on full auto, full auto burst, rapid semi, you're basically pressure saturating that suppressor. So you've got to kind of balance that. And in dealing with the guys on the, on the military side at RDAC and SOCOM, I said, well, how much pressure stacking would be acceptable? And they said, well, you know, if it's 3 to 5%, but really go, look, nobody does full auto mag dumps. We just don't. The guys I know in these tier one groups, one of the senior sergeant majors who's still in, in the tier one group, said, he goes, Ernie, look, in, in 26 years, he goes, I've never run full auto. And I'm sure people jump all over that. I'm telling you what he told me, and that's what he told me. He says, like, here, here's my battle load, and, like, that's it. That's all I carry. I've never needed more. And when I'm lining up on somebody, I'm killing them, period. You know, I've never needed it. But you still have to take that into account in the design. But it's down there in the design. So as I've worked now with the military more and more, you know, there, there's now a set of criteria that's developed with them, Okay. And in April, I was on a video conference with Lawrence Livermore National Labs and Softworks and a bunch of the program managers from SOCOM on suppression. And I asked them, I said, you know, what do you want out of this program? What's the end goal other other than us putting things into metal, right, testing it and dropping that back into the model on the supercomputer? That's the whole point of a model. A model is only valuable if you can put it into metal, test it put that test data back in and do that iteratively till that model becomes predictive. So if I, what if I make this hole bigger and this hole smaller? But in a suppressor, like little minute changes really don't change a lot, right? You're dealing more in this kind of, you know, uh, this explosion happening in there and this pressure flow. So it's kind of getting the design right. You can't make some little tweak and then expect to get some measurable result out of the end typically. 
you typically have to make some type of major structural flow change to really see the result in most cases. And I said, well, let's go down a list that I have and see if that tracks with what you guys want. I said, number one would be zero back pressure. And the guys at RDEC Feature Weapons Group said that, look, that's basically the holy grail. It's true zero back pressure. No change in weapons operation. No change in operational reliability. Suppressor is benign. You put suppressor on, take the suppressor off, and the gun runs the same. Doesn't matter. You, you know, it, it makes no difference on the gun. Mm-hmm. That's critical. Along with that goes toxic gas blowback. If you're going to start suppressing all these guns, you're going to be killing people, okay? I mean, long term, look at the cost to the VA, you know, and, and just like whether they're having like $2 billion in uh, hearing damage, and that's they expect that to more than double. Look at the increase in heavy metal poisoning. So that is a big issue. So zero back pressure deals with both of those. Is it, then the next thing is flash suppression, right? And they're like, yeah, you know, that's above sound for them. That's the truth. Okay, now that may mean on the civilian side, but on their side, it is. Mm-hmm. The next b- below that is going to be minimal and repeatable point of impact shift. Why? Well, it's obvious. Suppressor on, suppressor off. I need ideally none, or if there is a POI shift, it's minimal and it's always the same point. It's repeatable. Okay. And then below that, you get into your signature management, your sound signature, right? Thermal signature, smoke signature, and recoil reduction. And people think suppressors decrease recoil. The overwhelming majority do not. And I had to argue this point with the editor at Guns and Ammo before they published my article last year and prove to them through all kinds of tests and PowerPoints from the military. Absolutely they increase recoil because you have what's called an exit event, right? So when the bullet exits a barrel non-suppressed, you have that blowdown, that pressure blowdown. I mean, it's just like immediate blowdown. And a trapping design, you know, a maxim type design, you have a pressure chamber. And the gases don't push against the wind baffle. They just press, they push in every direction. They pressurize, again, like a scuba tank. They pressurize that whole chamber. And there's two exits, little holes. Okay, one forward, like a rocket nozzle. So, you know, I'm, I'm a dive master assistant instructor, you know, on boats and things, you know, we chain tanks up so they don't fall over and do what? So the your first stage doesn't get broken off and it become a missile. And so in rocket science, they call it an exit event. So I have two exit events back into the gun. And if it's on a semi-auto, what am I doing? I'm, I'm increasing the cyclic rate. If I'm increasing the cyclic rate, I'm increasing the velocity of the mass. Okay, that's traveling backwards. Well, the faster that that bolt carrier travels, the more energy that it has. And eventually it bottoms out and it transmits that. Okay. And then as the gas moves forward, if you look at the charts, and I've got some from RDAC on their testing, it shows all of these like a, a pressure peak and then a release and a pressure peak and a release and a pressure peak and a release. Well, each one of those is an exit event that pushes the gun back. Okay. If you want to reduce recoil, you have to keep, continue to move the gases forward. And it has to push against the surface and move forward and move forward fairly continuously. And then you'll reduce recoil. Obviously, recoil reduction versus recoil increase is an issue with them. Why? Because that comes down to there's mechanical accuracy in a gun and practical accuracy. Practical accuracy is how the gun interfaces with, with the human, with the shooter. You know, the more recoil, the, the harder, you know, repeat hits are going to be. Obviously, you know, in combat, if, they, if they're getting each multiple targets, 
running gun, you want to reduce that recoil. Suppressors don't reduce recoil. So that's one of the things that kind of gets left out. And then below that, they're going to look at size and weight. Okay. And then below that, they're going to look at user serviceability and service life. Mm-hmm. Most suppressors, people don't understand this, only last potentially a few thousand rounds. And so they, they wait a year and they pay the 200 bucks and they get their suppressor. When the Marine Corps fielded their two fully suppressed combat brigades in, I think, 2016, the lessons learned document pointed out three things. One, tremendous loss in operational liability. Number two, it said we remain concerned about toxic gas blowback. Why? Because if you're going to suppress the entire Marine Corps, you're going to have a, lot, a huge increase in heavy metal poisoning. Mm-hmm. And then three, it said cost. I'm like, cost? It's military. I mean, you know, suppressors don't cost that much. But when you read into that section, they basically said, look, the, the barrel life on their, their HK-416 or, you know, M27 is at 20,000 rounds. And to get 20,000 rounds out of the suppressors, it wasn't happening. They said the suppressors were moving out of spec. Okay, PLI shift, group dispersion, sound levels, between two and 5,000 rounds. Why? They carbon up, load up, they get heavier, you get less volume, but more importantly, you get erosion. So on a trapping design, your high-pressure zone is behind the bullet, your low-pressure zone is in front. So that what happens is then your gases, as the bullet goes through that, that first baffle, they're going to compress down, right, because all the high pressure is behind the bullet. You're not flowing it anywhere. It's going to compress down and it's going to accelerate several Mach. So hot abrasive gases are accelerated several Mach. And so you're going to get accelerated erosion in that first baffle and you're going to get more blow by, but that baffle doesn't erode evenly. Mm -hmm. So you're now putting, you know, you've got uneven or unbalanced pressure around the bullet and that's going to move the bullet to one side or another in the suppressor and make it unstable. And you're going to get baffle strikes. That's where you get the group dispersion and PLI shift. Some suppressors, depending on how they're designed, will have longer life. Some will have shorter life. But just achieving one barrel life has been an issue. And their stated goal is 100,000 rounds. Okay. And then below that, you have quick detach. And that's a whole other thing where people get wrapped around the axle of QD. And we can deal with that a little bit separately. But that's really the criteria. Yeah, And then everybody, you know, like I said, they go, well, what's the decibel, you know, on, on your suppressor? Well, if you talk to the guys that shoot it, like Dave Body, David been out, uh, he's been writing for two decades. And goes, look, I don't use a meter. I don't need a meter. He's kind of like a human meter. He goes, I care about what I hear, what my results are, mm-hmm. because I'm a user. I compete. I, you know, he's a SWAT commander. I know what I do. I run, I run the guns how I would, I use them or I would use them or, the people that I care about, you know, other like military and law enforcement would use them, right? And one of the things he said to me the other day about the Orion is he goes, I'm going to just come out, you know, and kind of put a stake in it. This is, this is the quietest 556 suppressor that I've ever run. And he's run it from down on to seven and a half inch guns, you know, all the way up and on different operating systems and, he said, you know, the other day I was running my his full auto, a 14 and a half inch M4 and doing full auto bursts. And he said, it's so quiet and the recoil reduction is so good. He goes, I had to check to see if brass was ejected. Now, Dave's not a guy that's going to blow sunshine up your butt. Okay. He's just not. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, one guy criticized me online. Well, you know, you just give stuff to him, you know, and you need to give it to other people. Well, I have like Buck 
and Collins run them and others, you know, people that I can't talk about. But like I said, Dave's a guy I would trust with my life, literally. And if I send something out with him to test and he comes back and he's going to tell me flat out how it is. I mean, there's no incentive for him not to. Mm -hmm. But what people don't understand about sound and decibels is this is one thing I'm looking at a slide that uh, Phil Dater, who founded GemTech, put out, Doc Dater. And he now does testing, and that's his company does testing for a living. And so it said suppressed sound levels reference to an M4 carbine, M55 ball, 14F inch barrel, same suppressor. So action type and effects on SPL. HK416, 5 decibels louder. SIG 551, 14 decibels louder. Steyr Aug, 9 decibels louder. Bolt action, same Howard barrel was 20 inch. AR-15, which has a 20-inch barrel, 2 dB quieter, okay? Barrel length matters, ammunition matters, and then on the other slides, he goes into basically weather conditions. If you live in Colorado, right, I'm here in Utah. If you're at 6,500 feet, roughly, I'm at uh, 4,600 feet, and let's say it's July, it's 9,500 degrees, okay? That suppressor is going to be louder than if I'm down at sea level in San Diego in winter where I've got higher humidity, colder air, denser air, right? So mm-hmm. that can that can make three to four decibels difference. So I get you know, these guys that kind of troll all the time, like, well, you know, you need to send your suppressor to this guy who tests things in this lab. And if he hasn't tested it, then it's not legitimate. Yeah. I'm like, well, I look at his testing and he's tested on a 20-inch bolt action in a lab. Yeah. How that suppressor ran on a 20-inch bolt action lab is not going to be the same when you put it on your 10 and a half inch Mark 18. Exactly. Yeah. Because you've got a lot of unburnt powder. You've got a lot higher exit pressure and action type. All these things make a difference. And so that's one of the things that I think it's important for everybody to understand is sound reduction is relative. And what it does on one gun is not going to be how it works on your gun. Yeah, definitely. Man, all I know is I just want to know where were you when I had a past physics class? I had to learn all this. Everybody's like, well, yeah, you know, I'm sure. You have like how many PA, how many PhDs do you have? I know. Well, you're definitely That's extremely I, educated on everything, and I'm just like, okay, some of this is over my head. I'm like, all right, concentrate, concentrate. But you describe it in a great way that actually makes perfect sense. But talk about somebody who's just extremely knowledgeable on the subject matter. It's impressive. Well, to break and it, it down, it's like, well, thank you. But to break it down, it's like, folks, don't get wrapped around the decibel axle. Yeah, exactly. Okay? And that, I've always that's been so, that's so relative. Yeah. To your gun, your ammo, mm-hmm. you know, where you're shooting. And that's why with the military, on that conference call that I was on with a video conference with Lawrence Livermore, and he's got Dr. Dr. Moss, Dr. Anderson, who have like three or four suppressor patents, you know, the, the program manager for a crew served at Crank, Mark 48 machine gun and stuff. When I was going to go, well, sound is here. He goes, actually, sound's at the bottom of our list. Well, really... When you aggregate that across the different military groups, it's in the middle. But that just goes to tell you where these other attributes are far more important mm-hmm. because in, unless you can achieve those, like if, you, if your guns are so unreliable suppressed, everything else is just kind of moot, right? It's like you can't run it suppressed. You're not going to be able to, you know, you can play with suppressors, you can put them on, but you're not going to be able to seriously go out there and start fielding every gun suppressed until you can deal with that. Yeah. So at RDAC, you know, future weapons guys, they said, you know, zero back pressure is our holy grail. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. 
And so my suppressors are there being tested. They're at Aberdeen Proving Ground, at Army Research Labs. I have a, a cooperative research and development agreement or CRADA with program manager lethality, US SOCOM, and things like that. So that wouldn't be the case if I didn't know what I was doing and my stuff wasn't legit. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It is. And yeah. So on the decibel thing, I mean, that's... Yeah, I wouldn't really get relative. I've always heard that that was stupid anyways for people to get hung up on it. Yeah. But if somebody say, well, is your suppressor the best for, let's say, I've got a lightweight uh, rifle for sheep hunting, right? And bolt action. I'd say, well, you know, then my my suppressor is probably not the best choice, right? Mm -hmm. You can make uh, all titanium Thunder Beast. It's like seven or eight ounces or the Dead Air Nomad TI or something yeah. like that is, is uh, what you ought to roll with. Yeah. You know, um, the only benefit my suppressor would have in, in that scenario would be the recoil reduction attribute. But that may not matter because you're maybe shooting once, twice. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And but you've got to You've got to pack that around a lot more than you're shooting it. And so I'd probably go, well, you know what? I'm going to roll with uh, uh, one of these other suppressors. So, you know, one size doesn't fit all. You've got to look at your application. So I guess that, that's what I'd say to people looking for suppressor. Look at your gun. Look at your application. But if you're running a gas gun, doesn't matter if it's piston. doesn't matter if it's direct impingement. You know, and especially if it's, if it's a serious gun, okay? This is what I'm going to defend my home, my family, you know, maybe have to defend the country, you know, coming up here. But then, you know, what's going to matter is operational liability, period. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Um, that's what's going to matter. The guys at the group behind the fence, uh, they're R&D guys. And I'm giving you an exact quote, whether you agree with it or not. They said, we only care that it sounds different than the enemy's guns. That's a direct quote. There you go. I mean, so people say, well, this one's two decibels less. Okay. You know. What are the other attributes of, of that suppressor? What's yeah. the service like? Yeah. You just you just waited a year, paid 200 bucks, and it shot out in 3,000 rounds. So what I sought out to do was really kind of go down that list. And with the Orion, which is the top of the line suppressor that we have, I really kind of cracked that code on flow design in achieving that optimal balance of blowdown, clamping, pressure stacking, the efficiency of the volume, you need the right balance between open expansion volume and we'll call it your metal cooling volume, your time and distance of gas travel. Those are all things that matter. If you can kind of get that right, then the thing works. And that design has exceeded all of my expectations. Service life is beyond 200,000 rounds. It's fully user serviceable, no welds. And the reason that it can do that is that because it's a flow design, as that bullet goes through that first module or what you consider a baffle, there's in the middle, we'll call it a nipple, right? So instead of a little thin baffle wall, it's, it's this more of like a quarter inch nipple. And that creates this high pressure zone, right, between the bullet and that wall. And that high pressure zone is going to force the gases, right, to go out into that coax, that outer chamber, where they're, you're expanding, slowing, and cooling. So in the PowerPoints that I do when I present uh, on the defense side, is one of the first slides that says, make the gas your bitch, okay? So that's it. I mean, how am I making the gas go where I want it to go and do what I want it to do? Expand, slow, cool, okay? 
And so if you can't explain your design and say, here's what I'm doing here, and this is making the gas go here and do this, and here's, you know, I'm using these laminar surfaces or laminar flow to create turbulent flow to start applying clamping. You know, most people can't. It's just fancy machining or they looked at what somebody else did and they'll they'll put some little dipsy doodle thing on it and call it good. And people see that, whoa, that's a cool dipsy doodle, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate really good and fancy machining as much as the next guy, right? But I can look at things now and I can look at any suppressor design. I can tell you what's wrong with it. You know, the first guy does a monocore baffle, then the one guy goes, I'm going to put a slant in that. I'm going to slant those baffles. I'm going to go, okay, bad idea. Because now I've got uneven pressure above and below the bullet, right? Because that baffle slanted. Those things shoot like SHI, you know what? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're not going to get the accuracy because you got uneven pressure. Okay. So I can look at any design now and kind of critique it almost instantly. So like I said, you know, people want to argue. I mean, you get into anything in guns. It's like trucks. Ford versus Chevy versus Ram, right? Yeah. Which used to be Dodge. My grandfather used to, yeah, he was a Dodge guy. He goes, my Dodge sucks Fords and Chevys up its radiator. Okay, grandpa, you know, but you know, that's you know, nine millimeter versus 45 or, you know, every suppressor has got its fanboys. That's fine. God bless America, right? Mm-hmm. You get lots of choices. And mm-hmm. what I'm saying is one size doesn't fit all. I designed for a set of criteria for a purpose. Okay. And is the Orion really quiet? Yes. But it has attributes that are far more important when it gets into combat, into real life, and into running on gas guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of what I did with with, uh, with suppression. And, and that's why, you know, guys like Buck Doyle, I mean, you know, with Buck, I mean, that's an interesting story. I mean, it, it took me like seven months to get Buck to use to try these suppressors. Mm-hmm. And, now and that's pretty I do much all, all kinds uses. of like work for Buck, you know, do this, do that, change this barrel out because he's a friend. And I said, hey, man, try these out. And he was just like, you know, he wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. Finally, I said, I'm not going to help you anymore yeah. <laughs> unless you try it. And he basically said, I'll try it, but I'm going to tell you exactly like I'm not going to compromise my integrity for anybody, mm-hmm. friend or no friend. I said, I'm not asking you to. I'll just try it and tell me, you know, and that's what I value. It's like, that's why I'm asking you to try it out. Yeah. And he basically, you know, comes back and he says, I don't even consider this a suppressor. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I can run hundreds, thousands of rounds and the gun's still clean. The brass ejects, you know, suppressed right on top of the unsuppressed. Now, he didn't run suppressed in his classes, things like that, because the classes he teaches, you know, and you'll have to come out to one. Colleen comes out pretty regularly, but it's kind of like a shoot house, but outdoors. Mm-hmm. So you're running and gunning through the terrain, right? And all different kinds of positions, you know, up angles and down angles and up onto the hill and short range and long range. And there's nowhere to clean your gun if it goes down. I mean, you're out there and that thing goes down. You're sitting in the dirt. There's no benches. This is a square range. And so he would even tell people, like, you may want to just leave that in your bag. And now with, like, the Orion, he he won't take it off the gun. He just runs it all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. To me, that's what matters. I can give it to a guy like that. And if, if they won't take it off their gun, then I did something right. Definitely. Can you tell listeners where they can find your products? Yeah, the uh, website, and it's a uh, work in progress, folks, but we're getting there, is just www.x2devdevgroup.com. And then you're also on social media, correct? We are, yeah. Okay. 
Awesome. We'll go give them a follow. I actually, as you were talking, I just messaged my friend who was like, have you heard of this company? You guys should carry their products. So we'll talk about that after. But it's pretty apparent that you guys, you've developed some amazing stuff and that you're extremely knowledgeable about it. And I can't wait to test your stuff, which I should be doing in the next yeah. week or so. Moving forward. Well, we'll have to get you one of the one of the ARX light fighters too, which is put everything into a gun that literally from muzzle all the way down to the buttstock that address all of the issues that the tier one guys brought up. Back when the SAS were in my booth at SHOT Show and saw like a 3D printed, you know, mm-hmm. version of like the lower and the AMB controls and said, how fast can you get that into metal? Wow. I know you got to go, but guys, that's in metal now. And, you know, if you go literally from the muzzle through, you know, you got the VF-18, the Trident barrel, my worm drive gas block. In the handguard, they said, you know, we want maximum longitudinal rigidity so we don't get POI shift. It's cutie, so you can take it off, load it up. The controls are, are absolutely the most intuitive. Redesigned the bolt carrier so you've got improved gas spinning. The stock, they complained about the stock wobbling and getting caught in their beards. And so the pause lock, again, looked at how, how everybody had done it forever, you know, with the plunger at the bottom, and we completely fixed that. Even fully extended all the way out there's no wobble. That thing's just rock solid. Um, little things like the, when they rotated from their 45 degree, you know, red dot to their primary, they were stripping out the one in a rotation tab. And that's bad. You know, now your stock's swiveling and your buffer retainer comes out and the gun's down. So there's like three in a rotation tabs. I mean, there's not one single part on that gun that's not thought out. And then I, I hired two uh, industrial engineers to do the, the ergonomics. And so even the lines on it are protecting the controls from snagging, how the grip interfaces with the, uh, uh, with the lower. There's no hard edges. There's probably 80 hours of industrial design on that. So that was kind of like something I've wanted to do forever mm-hmm. and just think out every tiny detail in a gun. And on that gun, there's nothing cheap from China. Even the little tiny detents, right? Our stainless steel run on our Swiss machines here. The springs are from a local Utah company, 17.7, you know, stainless or chrome silicone or Inconel. Wow. Everything in that gun. There's just, there's no cheap parts. The only thing that we don't make, okay, are, are the barrel blanks that are like from Lilja. And those are true bench rest grades. I mean, these things are shooting like quarter inch groups. Wow. And the gun will come in basically sub six pounds and then the the injection moldings local right so the grip and the stock are are my designs that are locally done so we really have control of the full supply chain and everything on that gun i mean all of the pins the detents everything we make Uh, the triggers in elftman and arch let me make that in our shop so Um, there you go. So that's, I got to get you one of those. Yeah, definitely. And those are in stock right now? Just going into production. So we just started production on it. So I'll be able to get you one this month to to try out. Nice. Well, I was going to say if they're in stock, people will definitely, very few people have any guns in stock right now. Yeah, they'll be able, they can get online, you know, you can check it out. We'll be adding a, how do I order? So you can, our our production capacity right now is limited. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things you want to get in and, and, uh, and order it. We also do all our own Cerakote and stuff in-house. And I've been doing that for more than a decade. And said I've, I've got a great relationship with the folks at NIC and ha- have worked with them for, for years. So Okay, cool. 
Awesome. Well, I'm just super excited for you and all the new stuff that's coming out. It seems like you're definitely going to be redefining a lot of these products that we've been having issues with before that have worked, but could always be improved. So I can't wait to see all the other stuff that you come out with on top of using the products. Thank you. And a lot, a lot of it's on that gun. Like I said, gas blocks, all of them were failing and having problems and didn't regulate gas properly. So that worm drive gas block exactly does that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so again, and then taking the feedback from tier one guys where they're, they're saying, man, you've got to fix this. You know, the, the, the longitude and rigidity on the handguard, that's killing us. You know, here's our issues. That thing is so rock solid. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't budge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't budge. Very cool. um, barrels totally isolated. So in other words, you know, your handguard's not attaching to the barrel nut, which is attached to the barrel. You've got isolation between the two. And so you'd have to really almost spend a whole podcast on that and go, you know, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. And then the thought that went into each little part of that gun, but it, it's not like most guns. I, I consider parts guns where people just threw parts together, even mm-hmm. A lot of brands, that uh, names that are out there, they're just assembled parts. Yeah. Most of the companies don't make all their own parts. And then they maybe did one thing where they did something unique or different, but then everything else was cobbled together. It wasn't thought all the way through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I want to solve with that ARX is that thing end to end was completely like, there's not one part on it that wasn't thought out. Hmm. And, well, improved. Maybe... And, and like I said, and we're making pretty much everything on it. So. Yeah, that's insane. Maybe after I get my hands on one and try it out and stuff, I'll have you come back on the podcast and we could talk about everything on the gun, just kind of break it down. Yeah, you bet. Uh, there is uh, there is kind of like a, an animation, you know, on the website that kind takes of you through it kind of like on a virtual tour. Oh, nice. Um, doesn't get into like a ton of detail, but really does show the, kind of all of the main points, you know, on it. But it, again, it's one of those things where, you kind of got to get your hands on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Buck came by, you know, one day, you know, picked some stuff up and it was actually there, you know, in metal, <laughs> you know, now next day he texts me, he's like, when can I get one of those? You know, how fast can I get that? So wow. that's, again, you get, you, you get hands on with people like him and he's like, okay, yeah, you know, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right. Well, moving forward, IWI. If you guys are looking for an AR right now, you should go check out the Zion 15. It's the first M4 variant from IWI made right here in the U.S. at IWI's Middletown, Pennsylvania factory. The rifle version has a 16-inch 4150 chrome molly barrel chambered in 5.56 NATO with a mid-length gas system. They come equipped with a 15-inch free-flow M-lock handguard, so you can attach basically all of your favorite accessories. The grip and stock are from B5 Systems, which they're known for being rugged, lightweight, and comfortable. When you head on over there to check out the Zion 15, don't forget that if you find any swag, which a lot of their swag right now, like shirts, patches, is on sale. On top of that, you could also use the code GUNFUNNY15, and that gets you 15% off, and that is at IWI.us. All right, time for the political segment. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. ATF continues its war on legal property. 
So Ernie, I don't know if you've heard about this. This happened actually, this happened a few weeks ago, but shortly before the ATF's latest assault on pistol braces, which they have, as I said in the past, withdrawn for now, news came out that they had raided Diversified Machine. Diversified Machine is a company that makes solvent traps. Solvent traps are perfectly legal according to the ATF, but just like 80% gun frames, they do not like that they can be readily converted into suppressors. Converting a solvent trap to a suppressor is perfectly legal as long as you obtain a Form 1 from the ATF prior to completion. Given the many months that ATF takes to process a Form 4, an e-filed Form 1 coming back in weeks has become a popular alternative. At least five ATF raids in the last year have occurred at companies that make solvent traps without any arrests or charges at these companies. In two instances, the ATF said the company was illegally importing suppressor parts from China after a tip from customs. They cannot be used for suppressor parts without modification, however. One company was raided after a man was arrested for selling machine guns who had one of their products. They had no connection to the man and obviously required an approval form one before shipping any product. Another company was raided purely because the caps on the solvent trap had dimples, which ATF argued was an intent to drill. The ATF is going much further and tracking much more than normal solvent traps. However, the owner's home of the YouTube channel Truckmaster was raided after ordering fuel filters from China. He was confused when they showed up at his house and demanded that he turn over their suppressors, and he had to show them his garage where he works on many diesel trucks. The last raid on Diversified Machine once again seized all inventory, including computers, but again without any charges or arrests. Just like Polymer 80, when they raided them, they are clearly trying to compile a list of customers who have purchased parts that the ATF has many times stated to be perfectly legal. Obviously, ATF leaders are trying to intimidate and eliminate these parts of the industry because they see them as easy targets for anti-gun agenda. And yet, how can they legally raid? I guess my biggest thing is how can they legally raid and confiscate anything from these companies when there's no evidence that there's any criminal activity being done? I don't know. It just goes to show, guys, we are so far from fighting the fight and ATF just continues to push wherever they can. That's exactly it. I mean, it's something I've been saying, a lot of other folks that, that I know. I mean, I've been in the industry a long time, and I know a lot of the other you know, owners of the other companies. And a lot of them predicted, you know, they said, look, this, this is where, you know, ATF's going to come after binary triggers. They're going to come after bump stocks. They're mm-hmm. going to come after pistol braces. I mean, a lot of us have seen that for a long time. Yeah. And so I think one of the key things with ATF, everybody, by the way, that I've ever dealt with in ATF over the years has been entirely professional. Mm-hmm. I had them show up here the other day because some Chinese company literally on one of my old you know, suppressors, the old NG2 Maxwell, completely duplicated down to the serial number 049. Wow. And you can buy them on wish.com. That was the fourth time that one had been confiscated in like some drug lab raid or something. Wow. And but this was the first time they actually showed up and said, uh, before I just sent them pictures and said, no, man, it's here. I have 049 here. And they had me take it apart and do things. But, you know, once I showed them, like, look, here's the three other times, mm-hmm. you know, this had happened. So, you know, they're, they're combating that, too. But people just need to be smart about this. And especially the companies doing it. If, if you're going to live dangerously and you're going to push those boundaries and push the edge, then you're living in the margin. And with the ATF, I have a good relationship with the local guys 
And they've said, look, man, if you've got a question, you know, ask, like, don't, yeah, exactly. don't live dangerously. So I would say to these companies doing this, make sure, I mean, don't, don't guess, don't assume, make them give you a letter, you know, mm-hmm. stating that what you're doing is okay. And, and if you change something, then get another letter, you know, don't get yourself in trouble. Don't get your customers in trouble. Yeah. Um, as much as that sucks and you should be able to do anything that you want. You know, the reality is that if you, you can have these things, you can have 80% guns, you can have pistol braces, just send it through, you know, it takes more time, get it through technology branch, get a letter, mm-hmm. you know, uh, SB, you know, they went out, they got the letters and, you know, there you go. Did they, were, I think with, with ATF came back and just, well, you know, but this model and that model, that that's kind of cheap. Right? Yeah, exactly. Especially but when they were like, it. especially when they said, all right, you don't have to keep submitting, you're fine. And then, nope, just kidding. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it was and, a low blow. And, you know, and, and I think my letter to, you know, to ATF and, and to, you know, my senators and, and congressmen was simply on that. It was just like, you know, do you want another Ruby Ridge or a Waco? You mm-hmm. know, I go, they, you know, they, they've, for the last four years, you've been soaking the country in gasoline, you know? Yeah. And so there, there's so much ambiguity here. You know, people proceeded in good faith on the pistol braces based on what they were told that, you know, if there's confusion, you know, ATF helped create that confusion. Mm -hmm. And now to come back and change that. And even though you're saying, well, you can do this, you can do that and you can convert the gun. There's so many out there that's so, you know, ambiguous. There's so many issues with that. You know, do you want to just turn honest people into criminals? I mean, I know. Well, I think that that's sometimes what they want to do. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. They rethought it. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you. Local ATF, I'm friends with a lot of local ATF agents. They're really good people. I think it's just the higher up in headquarters that are just have no idea what's going on. And they're obviously anti-gun and trying to cause a bunch of disruption. But I don't think that the local ATF. Definitely. You know, and and, but the thing is, is that they've got a what I was telling this, look, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to enforce it. How are you going to do that? Exactly. There's no way. Exactly. You better figure out how you're going to enforce that. And and what are going to be the ramifications of enforcing it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have a Ruby Ridge or a Waco? Or are you going to have a bunch of those? And, and can the country take that right now? Exactly. And I don't, I think that this, that is just in, in over, in how many crimes have been committed with pistol braces? Yeah, now? exactly. You know? Know. So it's just, you know, it's just stupid. Yeah. But that's the thing is, you know, people in the gun industry too, and, and some may get mad at me, but look, some of these companies that are out there, solvent traps, whatever, you know, you need to be smart and they need to be smart. I don't go near that stuff, honestly. I just don't. I, I don't need it. I don't want any issues. So my my advice is just, uh, you know, stay inside the guardrails on it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got pistol braces, right? SB did it right. They they went and they got the letters and, you know, that's the way to do it. And and just make sure that you're, you're putting, you know, if you're a manufacturer, you know, make sure that you've got you know, your letters from ATF so that you're solid and, and that your customers, you don't get your customers in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but, but there are companies people need to understand that, that are out there and are being a little bit, uh, you know, reckless and, and pushing the boundaries, some intentionally, some inadvertently. And sometimes like with SB and the, in the braces, you know, uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, this was just a political agenda and uh, they saw, okay, well, you know, uh, we got the, you know, Biden won. If, if you believe that, but 
So I think they were now just feeling free to just uh, go take it to the industry. But I, like I said, I don't think that would have a happy ending for them. And I think that they realized that and, and very wisely pulled back. I, I think that was just a stupid thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Manicore Arms. if you guys have an AK that you want to build up a bit, you should go check out the Alpha Rail from Manicore Arms. The Alpha Rail gives you a super solid key mod forend with a rail top cover for mounting your favorite red dot. It gives you a little can feel of a standard AK forend while letting you attach your favorite accessories. They install just like the normal handguard and can be used with the Alpha Rail cover or a standard upper handguard. Check them out at manicorearms.com. Right now, the Alpha Rail is in stock. They're available for $118.95, and the top cover is $73.95. But you're obviously not going to pay full price because you'll use the code GUNFUNNY15, and that will get you 15% off. And that is at manicorearms.com. Today's question, of the new guns that you have shot this year, which has been your favorite and why? Have you shot any new guns, Ernie? I'm assuming that maybe it's your own. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, uh, you know, I get other stuff in, like you've had the, you know, uh, Ruger sent the, you know, the 57, mm-hmm. you know, pistol and, uh, and the threaded barrels too. So we've been running the threaded barrel 57 and, um, uh, that's a blast to shoot. I think this problem is ammo, but that, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's lightweight. It's just a, it's a great gun, fun to shoot. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think for me, it was the FK Burno. And that was the uh, where it comes with a proprietary round, the 7.5 FK. I thought that that gun was just pretty innovative and different and really liked the new caliber. When you look at the size of it, you think it's going to have a ton of recoil. But the way that the gun was designed, it actually shoots just really well. I thought that that was well thought out and in the caliber as well. So I would say that that, as of 2020, was probably my favorite. I also really like the AKV, but they, I don't think they came out with that one last year. I think it was the year before, but don't quote me, but that one was made from Palmetto State Armory. And I thought that considering Palmetto State, it's like hit or miss sometimes with their products, but I thought that they did a really good job on that gun as well. I saw your posts on the, on the Burno. I mean, I, that was one of the ones that really interests me, but it, uh, they, they've been not easy to get, so. Yeah, I think they've definitely started amping up production. So hopefully, if they are out of stock, it won't be much longer. And then I think you could also, if you have an account with Big Daddy Unlimited, I think they also are selling them there. Okay. All right, guys. So a big have to bring yours over and, uh, and let me try it. I know, right? Yeah, because we're, I mean, we're pretty yeah. close. So we might as well just join right. forces, have a nice little range day. And I think it'll be fun. Exactly. <laughs> I actually have two of the FK Burnos now. so. If you want, we can both shoot one at the same time, or you can double fist, whatever, you know, totally up to you. What is that? Dual well, dual, dual wield. Uh, it's obviously, it's the beginning yeah. of the year. <laughs> but that was kind of what I was thinking of making a YouTube video where I'm shooting both. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I, lo- I agree. I love that caliber. And uh, I would love to get my hands on that gun. So, All right. Well, if you want, I know some people, so I could put you in touch with the right people.
Guys, yeah. I have a huge announcement to make. Primary Arms is our newest sponsor. If you guys haven't heard of them, which I mean you should unless you live under a rock, they have awesome deals on guns, gear, gun parts, ammo, and they also have their own line of optics. I'm a big fan of their optics. I previously had Dimitri on the show as a guest, and we discussed how he developed the ECSS reticles that are used on the primary arm scopes. They're designed with the ultimate versatility in mind while keeping these simple so that you aren't overwhelmed with a complicated reticle. They're also designed to be extremely rugged without being as expensive as most other optics out there. Recently, they just launched a new red dot, which is called the SLXMD20. It's a micro red dot. It improves on previous micro dots with a more powerful and efficient emitter for 50,000 hours of operation with a super bright 2MOA dot. It also includes push buttons and the absolutely essential auto live motion activation. The SLX is available right now for $149, so check those out. Also, don't forget to use the code AVA and you will get a free scope mount with every optic that you buy that is from Primary Arms, and that is at primaryarms.com. Tactic Talk, discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. As of the first, Leupold released a new micro red dot, which is the Delta Point Micro. Have you had a chance to check that out? There's a lot of memes currently being made about it. But did you get a chance to check? It's a little it's a little micro red dot that attaches to your pistol. But instead of having your slide cut out specifically to accept an optic, it actually attaches to the backside. So there's no alteration that you have to make to the slide. Really slim profile. In fact, some people kind of argued that it looked a little too slim. So it was almost like a ghost ring sight as opposed to they didn't have that big window. So people argued find your red dot and that would probably be a little bit difficult. I have talked to some people who have already had a chance to get their hands on it. And they said that the red dot is so close to the bore axis that it becomes a little bit more intuitive when you're bringing the gun up for that sight picture. So it's actually not as hard to locate that red dot. And then also if the battery fails, the back of the optic has two dots that you can use as backup sights. But aside from that, I haven't had a chance to get my hands on it. Like I said, it just released on the first and I'm pretty sure they don't even have it on their website yet. I think honestly, I, I got to say hats off to Leupold for kind of designing something a little bit different than the typical pistol optics out there. But I don't know, Ernie, what do you think? Have you had a chance to see it? I've only seen the pictures. I haven't tried it. Mm -hmm. And usually Dave Body gets that stuff too, but I haven't heard from Dave if he's tried it. But it definitely, uh, it does sound interesting. It's something I would I would very much like to try. Yeah. I think one thing I've realized with innovation is anything new, people, as much as they crave new things and innovation, at the end of the day, they also don't. People don't like change. So I think when they initially saw <laughs> the picture, they were just like, oh, no, like right off the bat without trying it, which kind of ticks me off because First, you complain that there isn't innovation in the gun industry. And then when it comes, it's just like, oh, no, it looks weird. Oh. And people judge it without even getting their hands on it. I don't know. I'm not saying well, you whether. Have to look at it. Well, you have to look at it and say, does it does it solve a problem? I think it does. You know, again, being being a custom pistol smith, gunsmith, you know, I mill a lot of slides for optics. And there's some that, that really you can't mill them or you can't get it down deep enough. Or like on Glocks, with certain size of optics, you're going to 
you know, you're going to cut into your plunger hole or too close to the rear and, and then you can't co-witness, right? Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. So I think it it definitely solves a problem. More and more people are wanting to go, you know, the red dots. Mm -hmm. I, I was one of these kind of old school guys, uh, you know, Clint Smith's a friend of mine. You get kind of the old school guys and, you know, Red dots are for weenies, and I'm hooked on them now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It was well, body kind of got me hooked. He goes, "No, you got you got to rethink this." And now I I've, I I'm hooked on them, mm-hmm. and I think that that solves a problem where some pistols. I'm I'm coming at this from a, a pistol smith's standpoint. It's just not practical, or it's hard, you know, to put those on, or you don't want to take in and have your 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 slide milled, you know, for a site. There you go. So I, I think it's a good solution. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, AF. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Kentucky man clears snow with flamethrower. This is a video that went viral over the last week. Basically, this guy, his name is Timothy Browning. He used a flamethrower to clear the snow off of his driveway. Although he's not the first one to do it, he went the extra mile and he dressed as Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. He's wearing only a too small white bathrobe and a floppy hat as he used his flamethrower to clear the driveway and to top it, he was drinking a can of beer while doing so and he crushed and threw it on the lawn at the end. He also had a cigar to go with his beer. And uh, yeah, so basically this video just viral kind of makes you want, if nothing else, I mean, I've already wanted a flamethrower, but if nothing else, this is more of a reason to want a flamethrower. But I also, the only thing that comes to mind is it's like, yeah, it's all fun and games until the snow kind of melts and then it ices over that night and then it's just one big ice mess. But but who knows? I mean, if it were Colorado and it turned to ice, I mean, by the next day, it's it's gone anyways because of the weather. In fact, I rarely yeah. shove my driveway. I think I've mentioned this last winter. I shoveled my driveway three times and I freaking hated it. It was basically, it was enough reason for me to almost want a husband because yeah, single independent, <laughs> I don't need no man. Okay, maybe, maybe that's the case. But when I have to shovel my own snow and or my driveway and I have a pretty long driveway, I'm like, yeah, this sucks. I don't know. But for me, it's nice because with the weather of Colorado, the minute it snows, it's like the next day the sun comes out. So I kind of luck out where I don't have to shovel as much because it typically melts. Okay, now it's time to wrap up. I kind of missed the, the, cousin, the cousin Eddie, uh, you know, in the video, the reference. So glad you pointed that out. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I didn't, catch that I didn't either I when I first saw it until I read an article. I actually, I missed it as well. And I guess I noticed the beer, but I guess I didn't notice that he had a cigar either. But I didn't really look. It was one of those things I saw on Instagram and just kind of chuckled and then kept swiping. You know, it's not like I watched the entire thing. Yep, same here. So, <laughs> all right, time to wrap up. So, guys, we are down to our last two reviews. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. First review is Glock Girlin, Florida, FL. Great variety of info and guests, five stars. I came across Ava when she was a guest on Colleen Noir's podcast. I really enjoy all of her podcasts and the variety of guests she has. Whether you're new to loving guns or have been loving them your whole life, she'll keep you engaged and the information will be at an appropriate level. Thank you, Ava. Next is AZ Bruiser, five patriotic starts, five stars. As a truck driver, I love listening to this podcast on the road when I'm helping keep this 
country moving. Ava always keeps the 2A community well-informed and well-entertained. Operator Tickles, on the other hand, keeps us all in line. Keep it up. And now it is time to finally wrap up. So you actually, Ernie, I got to say, you might have hit a record as to my longest show. I'm not going to confirm it just yet, but you might be. If not, you're within the top five. Kudos to you. (laughs) You don't win a prize or anything. Oh, yeah. Actually, speaking of winning a prize, I want you to pick either the first reviewer or the second to win a prize pack. So let's see. It was Glock Girl or AZ Bruiser. I think you should give it to Glock Girl. Yeah, I think so, too. I like to see women involved in the firearms industry and super happy that she listens to the show. So thank you for that. Okay. Guys, you can find me at gunfunny.com. There's links to social media. If you haven't, follow me on Instagram. I have two Instagram accounts, Ava Flannell underscore and Gunfunny Podcast, as well as on Facebook. Like I said before, get your calendar. It's 2021. You need a new calendar. And you have the option of me signing it as well as Tickles. We got her a little ink pad that she puts her little paw in and she also signs that calendar. There's also that option as well. And we're offering free shipping right now. If you want to support the show, you can make a one-time donation or become a monthly Patreon. That would mean that you make a monthly donation. You could do so by going to gunfunny.com and click on the support the show link. You also get entered into a giveaway. Blown Deadline gives away a $300 gift certificate every month to each lucky Patreon. I want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Ryan Morrison, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Star Wars 77, Ralph Anthony, Dylan Savage, and Melissa Ridings. King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that Operator Tickle's New Year's resolution is not to procrastinate. She'll start on that tomorrow. All right, Ernie, thank you so much for everything and for coming on here and telling us everything that you do and explaining everything in such great detail. Can you remind listeners once again where they can find you on the internet? You bet. So on Instagram, it's just at X, the number two, D-E-V-G-R-O-U-P. And then the website is www.x2devgroup.com. And uh, thank you for having me. I should have warned you that Buck, uh, another say, hey, you talk too much. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's just should have given you that warning, but no, it's it's hard. It's hard to explain things and sometimes and not to. So, yeah, well, and it's also it's amazing to see somebody who's so passionate about this. It's appreciated. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. All right. On that note, we're out of here. <laughs> Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.